Chapter 14 Severus went from sleep to wakefulness in an instant, though it would have been hard to tell had anyone been watching. No telltale jerk of his body gave him away, nor did his breathing change from the deep and even breaths of a deeply asleep man. The only outward sign of a sudden change in status was a subtle tightening of the long muscles in his legs and shoulders, a tenseness that spoke of tightly leashed power held at the knife's edge of relief. The soft chink that had awakened him sounded again. This time he recognized the delicate sound of china and the soft barefoot shuffle he associated with rink. He was in his rooms. He was in his bed. He was safe. With that realization, he gradually relaxed back into the warmth of his covers. Eyes half-lidded, a frown marred the line of his forehead as he noted that he was no longer wearing the soft linen shirt and wool trousers he'd laid down in, but rather his long, concealing gray nightshirt. He must have fallen into a deep sleep after he'd laid down and Rink had changed his clothes. Odd that he didn't remember that. He was an extremely light sleeper. When he did sleep, and even house-elf magic wasn't enough to keep him from waking when Rink took his duties to heart. Severus shifted enough to see the ticking clock hanging on the wall. The old-fashioned hands showed nothing but the time. As far as Severus was concerned, clocks should show the time, not where you were, or if you were late or some other bit of nonsense. It was one of the reasons he took a bit of pride in deliberately sabotaging the teacher's clock in Albus's rooms. His clock showed it to be a little after six o'clock in the morning. How was that possible? He'd laid down some time after one in the morning after sending Albus on his way, which meant he'd slept for almost five straight hours. Frown deepening, he tried to remember the last time he'd slept for that long, uninterrupted, without the aid of dreamless sleep. As realization hit him, the frown changed into a long-suffering scowl. The tea... Damn, Albus. What had the old man put in his drink to knock him out? Or had it been some subtle spell that he'd been too preoccupied to notice? He'd long ago made his peace with Albus and considered the older man a mixture of mentor, confidant, and friend. But the man's infernal meddling drove him to distraction. Severus was firmly convinced that it was only the long-held respect in which he held the older man that kept him from strangling the most powerful wizard known in the wizarding world, with his own beard, it wouldn't that make a lovely cover story for the Daily Prophet? Shaking his head with a discontented grumble, he threw back the heavy silk duvet with more force than was absolutely necessary. Rising, he headed for his bath. He would confront Albus later, when he had the time. The old coot would not get away with drugging him, nor would he listen to Albus's standard, for your own good, my boy, speech. Unfortunately, that confrontation would have to wait. Now he had to prepare for the morning's six-year newt potions class. Then there were the special arrangements that would need to be made for Miss Granger's detention that evening after dinner. Padding into the bath on bare feet, he waved a careless hand towards the faucets, satisfied that the sudden sound of rushing water. As steam began to swirl up into the cooler air of the room, Severus's thoughts swung back to Albus and his underhanded ways. He huffed out a breath as if one night of uninterrupted sleep was somehow going to change his circumstances. Although, he would admit, if only to himself, that he had obviously needed the sleep, for he felt both well-rested and sharper this morning than he had in weeks. 
nor was he suffering from the usual morning-after lethargy that normally accompanied those nights when he did succumb to the lure of sleep and indulged in the dreamless sleep potion. Pulling his grey cotton nightshirt over his head, he shivered slightly as the cool air slid over his body. Eyes averted from the mirror that hung over the sink, Severus turned his mind to the possible potion that Albus had slipped him. Hermione entered the potions classroom with a mixture of cold dread and giddy anticipation. In fact, the meeting of those two opposites had her stomach so tied in knots she'd been unable to eat anything at breakfast, and had to force herself to drink her pumpkin juice. For once, Hogwarts gossip had worked in her favor, her friends believing that she was just nervous about seeing Professor Snape in class again after making a complete spectacle of herself. They hadn't questioned her lack of appetite or her obvious nervousness. Neville had even come over and offered consoling words. She'd almost spit out her juice when the boy whose bogart was Professor Snape told her that Professor Snape wasn't all that bad and she should just relax. Relax. Professor Granger's Snape must have been making an even greater impression on Neville than she'd originally thought. Not that it was helping her. But then, she certainly couldn't tell her friends that relaxing was out of the question because last night she'd let a house elf magic her into Professor Snape's rooms. And weren't they a nice set of rooms, where she'd replaced his standard Hogwarts sheets with special homemade sheets? Sheets that she'd made. Sheets that she'd made with magic that had left her loopy and... and... Oh, dear God. Sitting down in her seat, she swallowed hard against the rising nausea, and she tried to calm herself. Focusing on pulling out her potions kit, she arranged everything she'd need for that day's lesson on her desk. Cauldron? Check. I'm calm. Potions kit? Check. It will all be fine. Homework? Check. Very calm, even. Hermione dropped her head down into her hands. Who was she kidding? What if he knew? Had he slept on the sheets? What if he'd seen the sigil? Did he have a good night's sleep? What if he'd figured out someone had been in his rooms? Would good sleep improve his temper and demeanor? What if he'd figured out that she was the one? I'm going to be sick. Heart pounding, Hermione worked herself up into a right tizzy, the nail of one thumb being bitten down to the quick as her thoughts spiraled out into ever-increasing circles of conjecture and paranoia. It was little wonder that when the back door to the classroom was flung open with a resounding bang to admit a darkly scowling potions master, that Hermione both jumped in her seat and let out a high-pitched, somewhat strangled yelp. Professor Snape didn't break his determined stride, or even look in her direction as he snapped. Ten points from Gryffindor, Miss Granger. For disturbing my class. With those long, familiar words, Hermione's nerves melted away just like, well, magic. Focusing on the potion the professor was writing on the blackboard, Hermione fought to keep the wholly inappropriate grin off her face. Students who had just lost ten points for their house did not grin. But she had at least one of her answers. No, she hadn't been discovered. She had to wonder at his grumpy-as-usual attitude, though. Had the sheets not worked? Her grin slipped a little. She'd have to talk to Rink to find out what had really happened. Putting aside her curiosity, for the time being at least, she turned her attention to class.
Leaning into his desk, Professor Snape watched his advanced six-year class file out. The Slytherins were still snickering and laughing, secure in their knowledge that the most horrid teacher in Hogwarts history was on their side. They felt safe in the knowledge that as long as they were under his protection, no punishment would come their way. The Ravenclaws and Hufflepuffs went out as a group, opting for the safety in numbers approach. Longbottom, remarkably enough, chose to walk out of the room on his own, his head held high. Although one hand clenched tight around his book bag while the other seemed to be patting gently against something within the bag. That had better not be the boy's familiar, Severus thought. If he caught Longbottom bringing that toad into his class again, he'd turn the boy into a fly and feed him to the amphibian. With Longbottom gone, that left Potter and Weasley, who were carrying on a soft-voiced conversation while waiting patiently for Miss Granger to gather her books and papers together. Overall, it had been a rather successful class, only ruined by his still-simmering anger at Albus's underhanded tricks and dosing him. He still couldn't decide if he was angrier at the fact that Albus had slipped him something, or the fact that Severus hadn't caught him at it. He did admit, though grudgingly, that having a full night's sleep made his little bit of teaching hell moderately acceptable. Eighty percent of the class had managed to brew more or less satisfactory potions. No one had died, and he'd managed with just a few words and a sneer to rile the Gryffindors to fever pitch. He had no doubt that he and Minerva would be having polite words that evening. There was just one dark spot on his otherwise bright morning. Hermione Granger Snape had years of taunting Gryffindors under his belt. He was an expert at reading the signs of their impotent rage and frustration. Clenched hands, gritted teeth, flushed faces, and eyes that glittered with suppressed tears. He'd been particularly creative today, a good night's sleep doing wonders for his wit. And Granger, out of all her house, gave no more than small smiles and worried frowns. In fact, if you were to name the look, he would say it was almost the look that Albus normally gave him, a somewhat muddied mixture of fondness, indulgence, and concern. He'd hit new heights of acidic vitriol in today's lesson in an effort to get the girl to react, and he'd barely garnered a response. The indulgent, half-worried smile she'd worn through his last rant had completely discomfited him to the point where he'd finally just left them alone to brew the assignment. Once again, he was confronted with the mystery that was Hermione Granger. A mystery that he was determined to solve. This evening's detention was going to be the most entertaining. Hermione gathered her books together into a neat pile in front of her, as she let her friend's chatter wash over her, listening with half an ear to Harry and Ron discuss the chances of Hufflepuff passing Gryffindor in the house rankings. Slytherin, this year, was in a dismal third place. Hufflepuff, however, was only a few points shy of Gryffindor. Anything could happen in these last days. Thoughts on Hufflepuffs, Slytherins, and house points evaporated as Professor Snape appeared in front of her. Miss Granger, remain. Weasley, Potter, go. Professor Snape's gaze never left her own as he dismissed the boys with casual indifference, as if they weren't worth summoning even his usual derision. From the sharp intakes of breath behind her, she knew that the professor's attitude had its desired effect. Hermione also had no doubt that Professor Snape knew how Ron and Harry would react as well as she did. Knowing that points were about to be taken if she didn't do something, Hermione spun sharply in her seat, fixing both boys with a stern look. 
Seeing the mulish look on Harry's face, and the shock of red that was suffusing Ron's neck and ears, Hermione knew she'd caught them both just in time. She shook her head sharply at her stalwart defenders, and both boys wilted, although Harry sent a last dark look over her shoulder in Professor Snape's direction. "'Go on, guys. I'll catch up with you at lunch. I do have to discuss my detention with Professor Snape.' From the glares aimed in the professor's direction as they walked off, it was no secret that both boys thought the detention was unfair. Hermione, on the other hand, rather thought a single detention was getting off easy. Ron and Harry hadn't heard what she'd said. Not just once, but twice, about his eyelashes. Not that she had any intention of ever telling them. That was a secret she was fully planning to take to her grave. As Ron and Harry reluctantly left the room, Hermione focused back on her professor, who had been watching me play, watching the play-by between the three of them with one brow cocked up at an amused angle. Best, she decided, to get her apologies out now before they discussed her upcoming detention. However, Hermione found that face-to-face -face with her professor, her well-rehearsed apologies had fled and left her floundering. Sir, I... Where did she start? She had so much to apologize for. She began again. I wanted to apologize for Tuesday, sir. I was not in my right mind. I don't clearly remember everything that happened during the day. Some of it is sort of gray and fuzzy, but what I do remember of my behavior is unexcusable. Professor Snape didn't say anything, and as the silence grew, Hermione fought the urge to fidget under his stare. When he finally spoke, she almost sighed in relief. You had no idea of the danger you placed yourself in, did you? She slumped slightly in her seat. No, sir. As Professor Snape cocked his head slightly to one side, Hermione got the feeling that she was being studied and evaluated. It was a peculiar feeling to have the regard of those depthless eyes trained fully on her. You know now, he finally asked when he seemed satisfied with his perusal. Ron and Ginny explained, she said, grimacing slightly at the word. When Professor Snape said nothing, she took that as permission to continue. It never occurred to me that exercising my magic could in any way be harmful. I've done advanced magic before with no side effects. As soon as the words left her mouth, she cringed slightly. That was probably not something she should have said. Yes, precocious, aren't you, he commented, with just enough mockery that Hermione winced. She'd never met anyone who could puncture an ego with such surgical precision as Professor Snape. You never even felt the blade until you looked down and discovered you were bleeding. Then abruptly his whole demeanor seemed to change. He was no less intimidating as he stood in front of her, his air of unyielding displeasure still radiated off of him, from his scowling black brows to his crossed arms and down to his planted stance. Yet still looked solid, immovable, dangerous. Yet... To her eyes, he looked changed. The closest thing she could compare to was as if a previously guarded room had just dropped its wards. The room remained the same, but was suddenly accessible. Then again, maybe she'd just been studying this man too long, looking for the little nuances of his character and finding what she wanted to find, seeing things that weren't really there. Maybe she was as mental as Ron had always claimed. "'What do you want from me, Miss Granger?' Hermione wasn't sure what surprised her more. 
His question, or the way he asked it? His question had been civil, his manner curious and touched with just a hint of weariness. Then again, she thought, maybe, just maybe, she was right about seeing things in this confusing man. I... She stumbled over the words, not sure exactly what he expected her to say. She'd never really thought about wanting anything from him. She'd been so focused lately on what she could give to him. Of course, he didn't know that. From his point of view, she supposed he would think she was after something. Want, Miss Granger, he continued when she faltered. It is a simple concept. For most of this past year, you have sought me out in some form or fashion. I am neither stupid nor blind. You have deliberately placed yourself in my path. You have modified your behavior in my classroom. You have even gone so far as to coach Longbottom, outside of my class, into what will be a passably acceptable grade this year. What do you want? In that next moment, Hermione took another step toward adulthood. May I think about your question, sir? Amazingly enough, Snape nodded. Very well. You may have your time to think. We will see if you make adequate use of that time or not. Then that shift of perspective seemed to reverse, and Hermione was once again looking at Professor Snape, rather than Severus Snape. She wasn't sure how she knew, but the knowledge was there. I originally, Miss Granger, had your detention set for immediately after dinner this evening. That has now changed. You will meet me at the front door immediately following your last class of the day. You will remain in your uniform and bring your traveling cloak. Her curiosity was definitely piqued. Occasionally, Professor Snape sent students out into the grounds or the edge of the dark forest to gather ingredients, but those detentions were usually conducted under Hagrid's care. She'd never heard of an outside detention being held by Professor Snape. What is the nature of the detention, sir? He scowled at her. You will find out in due course. Now, you mentioned a moment ago that you had brewed advanced potions with no detrimental effects. Yes, sir. While what Hermione had mentally dubbed Snape's wards were still very much in effect, at her respectful tone he seemed to relax somewhat again. He was, at least, continuing in a more normal tone of voice, the biting edge of his words moderated to mere annoyance levels. The difference between your previous experiences and the incident this week is most profound. In the case of you brewing the polyjuice, and yes, Miss Granger, I am well aware of all your experiences with that particular potion. You brewed over an extended period of time. In addition, while a complicated potion in regards to timing and ingredients, the potion itself is not complicated. It does not require great amounts of magic to create. I also believe you cast a Protego as a fifth year. Wondering how he'd known that, Hermione nodded and then added a verbal, Yes, sir. Again, Miss Granger, a single incantation. In order for you to suffer the magical depletion that you did, you would have had to cast your spell over many concurrent days and to keep casting for an extended length of time. He paused and then added, I'm going to guess that the charm that brought you to the sorry state in which I found you was a protection charm of some sort. Hermione jerked and turned wide, startled eyes back up to her professor's face. How did you know? 
Professor Snape, who up until this point has been standing in front of her desk, turned and walked over to his own desk. He leaned back against its bulk, much the same way she did when she was in Professor Granger's Snape mode. I know, Miss Granger, because unforgivables and power powerful protection charms always use up the most magic within a person. He paused again, fixing her with a raised brow. And for much the same reason, he finally added. He stopped again and looked at her expectantly. What might a reason be, Miss Granger? A thrill went through her, both at the new knowledge he was offering and the fact that he was asking for her input. Oh, dear God, he was asking her. He was asking. Her. Hermione Granger. Professor Severus, I hate Gryffindor, Snape, was asking her to answer a question. This was... It was... Better than Christmas. Better than chocolate. Hermione straightened up in her seat. And as had become her habit of late, she tucked her fingers beneath her legs to remind her to keep her hands down. But even without her hand raised, there was no mistaking the sudden energy that charged her frame. The creation of the magical sheets had taught her the answer to this one. You have to mean them, she answered. Not just say you mean them, or that you want to mean them, but really mean them. She paused and closed her eyes to better remember the magic that she channeled while creating the sheets and sigil. She remembered her thoughts and desires to make Professor Snape's life easier, to protect and guard him from all that life would throw against him. Opening her eyes, she gave her professor a small smile. Half-hearted efforts won't get results. You have to be willing to put everything you are into it, to invest yourself into the spell. Adequate. His response was fairly neutral, but Hermione got the impression he was pleased with her answer. Children, Miss Granger, are not taught these types of spells until the end of their seventh year for numerous reasons. You are one of the oldest in your class, a circumstance that worked in your favor in this instance. You were lucky, Miss Granger, and while Gryffindor seemed to believe that luck is forever on their side, she is a rather fickle and unreliable savior and should not be counted on. But beyond the danger of overtaxing yourself, how could that be dangerous? Miss Granger, how very disappointing. You are not thinking. Again, I might add. I told you that there were two common types of spells that required significant investiture from the spellcaster. Then it hit her. Oh, unforgivables. You have to be willing to put your heart and soul... She trailed off, her thought uncompleted as her mind raced ahead to the implications of what Professor Snape had just revealed. In making the sheets, Hermione had invested herself in their making. She could remember the warmth of the old magic as it upheld her, sustained her, and ultimately worked through her. She couldn't imagine what harm she'd have done to herself, to the basic fundamental core that made her Hermione, her very soul, if the magic and power she'd invited into herself had been evil have been designed to hurt or kill. She shuddered at the thought. Someone touched with that kind of magic would forever bear the scars. Focusing once more on the teacher watching her warily, she knew something else that she and Ron and Harry had only speculated about. Professor Snape had cast them. She didn't know how many or how often or under what circumstances, but she could almost see the wounds. In that moment... 
Instead of being frightened or repulsed, she was impressed by his strength of will. He really had walked in the darkest of places. But to have the strength to come back out again. She had no words for that. Severus waited, watching as the girl processed the information he'd just given her. He noted how expressive her face was, her thoughts and emotions displayed for everyone to see. Miss Granger's pleasure at his conversing with her was easy to read in her body language and sparkling eyes, though even now he couldn't fathom why his regard was so important to her. He continued to regard her closely as her eyes slipped closed. He could tell she was replaying her experiences with her charm. As awe, wonder, and delight played across her face, he had to wonder exactly what charm she'd been attempting. He was also not going to ask. His best guess would be some type of advanced protection charm for Potter. To ask her for the information could possibly discourage her. He scowled at that thought. He hated having to walk the fine line between preparing Harry Potter for the coming confrontation with the Dark Lord and protecting the boy and his friends from their own attempts at preparation. Then the girl made the leap to the unforgivables. Her eyes wide, she stared at him. There was horror there, as he would expect, as the realization of just what he was and what he was capable of finally sunk into her mind. What he didn't expect was the look of open admiration that lit her face seconds later. In fact, truth be told, that expression made him very uncomfortable. Pulling his teaching robes tighter about his body, he stood up to his full height. Think on that, Miss Granger. And remember, you are to meet me at the front doors immediately after the last class of the day. You are dismissed. Spinning on his heel, he retreated to his office, slamming the door behind him. Later that evening, Severus waited with barely concealed impatience. Glancing up at the great clock that hung in the entry hall, he noted that the girl had almost fifteen minutes left before their appointed meeting time. Severus was early and had no one to blame except himself for his impatience. Well, he supposed he could blame the headmaster, as he'd expected his meeting with Albus to last longer than it had. Crafty old bastard to make his denials about drugging the tea last night and then hustling Severus off to Miss Granger's detention so that Severus couldn't continue to question him. And deny it, Albus had. In fact, it was a quite the masterful performance, much better than the last innocent act he'd given for Severus, when the potions master's name had somehow ended up on the Hogsmeade chaperone list. Albus had actually been believable this time. Not that Severus actually believed him. Hearing the light tapping of shoes on stone overhead, Severus automatically stepped further back into the shadowed alcove in which he stood. From his position, he could see Granger standing on the second floor landing, the stair leading downward having just shifted away. A slight smirk lifted one corner of his lips. The girl would not be able to get down the stairs before their set meeting time, which meant that she would earn a points deduction for being late. His amusement was petty, he knew but upsetting the point balances were one of his very few enjoyments in life. Everyone thought he picked on only Gryffindors, 
Truth was, he just made their point deduction more obvious and vocal to keep up appearances. He took an equal number of points from Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. He was just sneakier about it. Then he saw the most extraordinary thing, something he'd never seen happen with a student. The stairs that had just swung away with a rumble of grinding stones swung back into place at Miss Granger's feet. He heard her words of thanks to both the stairs and the castle, though both were faint at this distance. Her delighted laugh, however, carried bright and clear across the open space of the entryway. It looked as if Miss Granger had figured out that the castle was borderline sentient. The girl had gone beyond just recognition, though, and was actively interacting with the building. His smirk turned into a small, genuine smile. She'd figured out one of the castle's secrets. His opinion of her rose another small notch. It would seem that perhaps he'd been correct in his estimation of her potential, even if the girl had a deplorable lack of her own safety. The sense of satisfaction did not show when he stepped from concealment. "'Good afternoon, Professor Snape,' she greeted with a broad smile, the same open and honest smile she'd been greeting him with since the beginning of the year, a smile that invariably made him think that she was up to something. Time had proven that she wasn't, but even still, his first reaction was to doubt. Doubting was easier and infinitely safer in the long run. He could see that as instructed she carried her traveling cloak neatly folded over one arm. He could also see the bright curiosity shining in her eyes. Other students came to him with dread weighing down their steps. This one came to detention practically vibrating in place with her pent-up need to ask him questions. Questions he wasn't ready to indulge her in just yet. Although he gave her points, if only mentally, for containing her enthusiasm. That she had learned a modicum of distraint in the last year inclined her further in his favor. Put on your cloak and follow me. Without waiting to see if she complied with his order, Severus spun on one heel and headed out the great doors that marked the entrance to Hogwarts. Keeping his pace fast but manageable for Granger, who even now he could hear hurrying up behind him, he headed towards the gates that guarded the Hogwarts property. Stepping beyond the gates, he turned, watching as Miss Granger caught up with him her breathing a little accelerated, although he wasn't sure if that was due to the fast walk or from her obvious excitement at this undertaking. Come here, Miss Granger, and take my hand. Satisfaction mixed with a sense of that same discomfort he'd felt early in his classroom filled him as she took his hand, with neither hesitation nor fear, though her eyes widened in surprise. He pulled her closer to him, so she stood in front of him, back to his front, his hand, still clasped firmly around hers, anchored her against him. We will be apparating in tandem. This ride is rougher than a solo apparition, and many find the experience unsettling. He allowed the sneer she couldn't see to sound in his voice as he added, When we reach our destination, do try to refrain from getting sick on my boots. As Severus felt her stiffen in his arms with righteous indignation, he apparated them. Hermione thought that apparition with Professor Snape would be much like the jump she'd made with Rink. She'd barely noticed when Rink had moved the two of them from her bed to Professor Snape's rooms and back again. She quickly discovered now how wrong she was. Her vision went black as great pressure surrounded her, pressing in on her ribs, stifling the breath within her lungs until the need for air became a resounding scream in her head. 
It was as if she was being squeezed out of one of her parents' tubes of toothpaste. At the point she thought she couldn't take any more, it was over. She fought to take in great gasps of smoggy-tasting air as waves of nausea swept over her. Sagging into the arm wrapped across her ribs, she was ever so thankful for its unwavering strength. She did not, after all, lose her lunch, but it was a close thing. Thank God Professor Snape had changed their leave time to before dinner. She didn't think she could have done that on a full stomach. Thoroughly embarrassed by her reaction to her first apparition, she fought to get herself back under control. She was cognizant enough to notice that Professor Snape did not withdraw his support until she had swallowed back the bile and stood steady on her feet once again. As soon as she found her balance, he dropped her hand and stepped away. No longer concerned with keeping her lunch down, Hermione took an opportunity to look around her. She was surprised to find herself looking up into the dirty marble f facade of St. Mungo's. She turned a confused expression to her teacher. St. Mungo's, sir? Consequences, Miss Granger. Drawing himself up to his full height, he headed towards the door. As if it was an afterthought, he tossed over her shoulder. Now, come along. You have dawdled long enough. Dawdled? She had not been dawdling. Fuming, she pressed her lips together and stormed off towards the steps, passing Snape in her furious rush. She was halfway up before she realized that she'd just been neatly played. She knew he used his words to both deflect from his actions and throw people off balance. He'd been nice to her after the apparition, and then deliberately made her angry, and she'd fallen for it. Bugger it all. Blast the man to hell and back again. Blushing at her own thoughts, Hermione diverted the new part of her that seemed to be gaining quite the affinity for swearing. Before she graduated, she was going to have the mouth of a sailor, and it was going to be his fault. Tamping down on her temper, Hermione slowed as she neared the top of the broad steps. Grasping one of the bronze door handles, she started to pull the door open, fully intending to hold the door open for her professor and bow him through with all the courtly manner she could summon up. Turning slightly, she fixed a pleasant smile on her face as she gave a small half-bow to her professor. After you, sir. Sneaky are Slytherin. He won't catch me again. Manners fell by the wayside as Professor Snape ignored the front doors and her and upon reaching the top step, turned right to step behind one of the broad pilasters that supported the roof overhang. Leave the door, Miss Granger, and come this way. Feeling stupid once again, Hermione bit back her sigh and followed Snape. She had just stepped behind the column when a doorway shimmered into view. Now she was really confused, and feeling even stupider, when Professor Snape, with a broad smirk, mimicked her own aborted earlier efforts and bowed her through the doorway with all the aplomb and genteel manners of a Regency gentleman. Face flaming, Hermione stepped through the doorway, took two steps, and stopped. She was in an open foyer that reminded Hermione vaguely of the reception area at her parents' dental practice. There was even a witch sitting behind a large desk that blocked passage to the corridor beyond. This was nothing like what she remembered from her first visit to St. Mungo's when Nagini had bit Mr. Weasley. Hearing the door swing shut behind her, Hermione waited for her professor, unsure of exactly where she was supposed to go. She was surprised when Professor Snape stepped up past her towards the witch who waved the pastor with barely a glance in their direction.
Professor Snape led her into a long corridor with doors branching off at irregular intervals. She could hear a muted hum of activity coming from behind the doors as they passed each one, but her silent guide did not stop, nor deigned to explain what was going on behind the doors. But Hermione had the distinct impression that he did know what was going on behind each door. Occasionally, they passed others in the hallways. Each time, Professor Snape would greet the person with a nod. To Hermione's growing amazement, people returned Professor Snape's nod with respectful greetings of their own. It didn't take her long to figure out that Professor Snape walked these hallways with all the surety that he walked the Hogwarts halls. Curiosity nibbled at her, but she knew better than to ask the questions she longed to voice. She'd find out her mission when, and only when, Professor Snape decided. She risked a small smirk of her own at the black-clad back leading her deeper in the hospital, confident that contrary to first-year stories, the potions master didn't really have eyes in the back of his head. She'd show him that she'd learned the lesson of patience. Or, at least, a good imitation of patience. Still, they wound deeper into the building, going up flights of stairs, and once taking what she was fairly sure was the wizarding equivalent of an elevator. They finally slowed to a stop at the base of a broad staircase that appeared at the end of one corridor. At the top of the short flight of stairs, a plump witch with short, curly gray hair and a wide smile stood, beaming down at them from her vantage point. Severus, welcome back. The woman's smile grew larger. And right on time, too. Hermione was startled to see her professor sketch the woman an elegant half-bow. As usual, he answered, with the air of someone delivering the punchline of a long-standing joke between friends. Hermione stared, not sure if she was more shocked at this kind, grandmotherly-looking witch who was joking with her professor, or at her professor who was joking back. It was the kind of thing that made one doubt all the truths that one held about the world. Her world quickly righted itself as joking professor transformed back into prickly potions teacher. Manners, girl, he snapped, and quit gaping like a landing fish. The rebuke did its intended job, and Hermione snapped her jaw shut. Coming down the stairs, the woman stopped in front of them, extending her hand in Hermione's direction. Welcome to St. Mungo's, Miss Granger. At the woman's use of her name, Hermione cut a quick look over to her professor. The healer obviously caught the look. Don't fret, dear. Severus has told me of your brush with magical depletion. Now, I want to give you a quick once-over myself. Professor Snape sniffed disdainfully behind her. Not that you don't trust myself or Madame Pomfrey in our diagnosis or treatment. The healer continued as if Professor Snape hadn't interrupted. After your checkup, we'll get to work in the ward. Again, Hermione cut a look over her shoulder to her professor. He gave her a regal incline of his head that practically screamed, You are a peon, but I am designed to address you. Work, Miss Granger. This is, after all, your detention. Healer Alvarez runs the spell damage ward. I thought you might benefit from seeing exactly where you almost landed yourself. Left foot up, right foot down. Right foot up, right foot down. 
They were almost there, almost home. She'd never imagined that the walk from the gates that marked the edge of the Hogwarts grounds to the front door was so long. Left foot up, left foot down, right foot up, right foot down. What had the founders been thinking when they made it so far away? Left foot up, left foot down, right foot... Stop for a moment, Miss Granger. The last thing Hermione wanted to do was stop. Not now, when the lights of the castle were so close. She was dead on her feet, and any thoughts she'd ever had about being a healer had been well and truly destroyed. She was hungry. Whatever the house elves at St. Mungo's were doing, keeping the cafeteria in edible food wasn't one of their duties. She was mentally drained. If St. Mungo's was about learning the consequences, then this was quite possibly the most informative detention she'd ever had. A shudder worked itself down her spine as she remembered some of the things she'd seen. To top it all off, her school robes were covered in things that Hermione was fairly positive the house elves would never be able to get out, and there was something vile squishing in her left shoe. To make matters worse, as an underage student, she was not allowed to perform magic off of Hogwarts grounds, and Professor Snape had not bothered to even ask how her uniform for her. She was fairly positive that he was ignoring her sorry current state and smell on purpose. She, however, was refusing to let it anger her, a condition she noticed that seemed to irk him in turn. It was no wonder the headmaster always seemed to be faintly amused when he dealt with Professor Snape, even when the professor was being a right horrid git. It was like playing a silent game of one-upmanship. Whoever broke first was the loser. There was also no doubt that Hermione had lost most of the rounds of play today. She was an amateur playing against a master of the game, and she lost her composure and her temper way too many times. Determined to do better, she forced a smile and swallowed the tiny sigh that wanted to escape. Coming to a halt, she turned to face Professor Snape. Sir? She didn't even have time to wonder at his actions before his wand was in his hand and she felt magic tingling along her skin. Glancing down, she noticed that most, but not all, of the questionable stains on her clothing were gone. She took a deep breath and realized she smelled better, too. The forced smile turned into a genuine one. Thank you, sir. Professor Snape stared at her thoughtfully for a moment, and then said, You did not embarrass me this evening. He gave her a small nod and then started walking again. Hermione gazed at his retreating back. That had almost sounded like a well done. Feeling a surge of energy, Hermione skipped a few steps to catch up with her professor. Falling in behind him, she let herself bask in his praise. She had no doubt that it was praise. Maybe not praise by the standards of her other teachers, but by the standards of Severus Snape, it was high praise indeed. Over the next few days, between studying for her end-of-term exams and classes, Hermione pondered the question Professor Snape had asked her. What did she want from him? Finally, feeling as if she was getting nowhere, and with the Hogwarts Express leaving tomorrow, Hermione realized she was out of time. So she did what she'd done in every other aspect of Snort. When it came time to make decisions, she retreated to Snort headquarters, better known as her four-poster bed. She pulled the curtains closed, set the wards in silencing charms, laid back against the pillows, and stared up into her canopy. It was time for some serious thinking.
12 hours, some serious thinking, one bottle of ink, and two scrolls of paper later found Hermione standing before the door to Professor Snape's office. This time, thankfully, the pixies jousting in her stomach were from nerves and not dread. The time for dread was past. Exams had been taken, trunks had been packed, and all that was left was to tell Professor Snape what she wanted before boarding the Hogwarts Express for home. She thought long and hard about his question to her. She'd come up with a dozen responses to his question. Everything from the childishly simple, she didn't want anything from him, to the completely outlandish, I want to know all your secrets. She smirked a little at that one. She'd entertained herself during her all-night thinking vigil with imagining Professor Snape's face to some of her more extravagant answers. She was jerked from her mental ramblings when the door in front of her was jerked open. Are you going to stand there until your train leaves, or were you actually planning on knocking any time soon? Hermione couldn't help it. She grinned at him, and then quickly attempted to wipe it from her face at his answering scowl. I'd like to come in, sir. Scowl still firmly in place, Professor Snape stepped backwards, allowing her to enter. She settled into her usual chair across from his desk and waited until he was seated. He wasted no time on pleasantries. Well, get on with it, he said, gesturing with one hand. Tell me how much you enjoyed my teaching this year, how you hope that next year will be just as grand. Leave your yearly parting gift in the corner and be off with you. Hermione glanced into the corner in question and realized that a small stack of gifts was piled up haphazardly behind the door, most bearing boughs in Slytherin green and silver. I don't have a parting gift, sir. I came to answer your question. His attention, which had been more focused on a stack of papers on his desk, turned to her. Continue, Miss Granger. Now she did have his full attention, and once again that unwavering stare made her nervous. Gripping the edge of her seat, she forced herself to give the answer she'd finally decided on in the wee hours of the morning. I suspect that, for good or ill, there are a lot of people who want things from you. Things you aren't in any position to deny, even if you wanted to. She paused, trying to gauge his reaction to her words. But Professor Snape's face was an expressionless mask. Swallowing hard, she continued. I don't want to be one of those people, sir. I don't want to demand anything from you. Yet I find that I do wish something, but only if you are willing. She'd gotten to the hardest part. Hoping for the best, she pushed on. I want you... I want to know what you know. I want to understand. Well, everything. You want to understand everything, he repeated. She couldn't decide if what she heard in his voice was disbelief or derision. She flushed, a bit embarrassed. You're thinking me a know-it-all again. You've given me a lot of to think about this year, Professor Snape, and I have realized that knowing and understanding isn't always the same thing, you know. I want to understand. I think you can teach me that. Mr. Weasley is a pure blood. He could answer any questions you have about the wizarding world. She gave a shake of her head. Ron can only explain so much. Ron is smart. At Snape's raised eyebrows, she added, a lot smarter than most give him credit for. His gift is seeing the obvious that everyone else misses. 
he can cut straight to the heart of the matter. What Ron doesn't get is the subtleties. For subtleties, Miss Granger, you would do better to look to a Slytherin than a Gryffindor. She sighed. You know, I'm getting tired of everything always coming back to our houses. But basically, you're correct. While Ron is a pureblood, he can't tell me why, why Malfoy hates me. He can't tell me why Salazar Slytherin, all those years ago, broke up a friendship and walked away from a school he co-founded and obviously loved. And over what? Muggleborns? Are we really that dangerous? Have times not changed? Is all that you wish to understand the ideological thinking behind most pure-blood rhetoric? No, sir. That isn't even the tip of the proverbial iceberg. He was studying her again, tapping one finger against his lips as he did so. She tried hard not to fidget under his regard. His words, when he spoke, were not what she was expecting. You are providing for your disciples a show of wisdom without the reality. For acquiring by your means much information unaided by instruction, they will appear to possess much knowledge, while, in fact, they will, for the most part, know nothing at all, and moreover be disagreeable people to deal with, as having become wise in their own conceit instead of truly wise. Something in the way he said the words made her think he was quoting something. Her puzzlement must have shown on her face. Socrates, Miss Granger, and a definition that I think fits you well. She thought back over the words. Appear to possess much knowledge, while in fact they will, for the most part, know nothing at all. She supposed that from his point of view that really had been her during her time at Hogwarts. The moment of truth was here. Will you teach me? I will consider it.